Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the capital region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's bracket season, and you can pre-register now for... Fox Sports Radio's Bracket Challenge at foxsportsradio.com. Get details, rules, and pre-register so you can easily create your winning bracket when it's live on March 17th. Once you fill out your bracket, you're entered for a chance to win the ultimate college sports trip for you and a friend, including travel and stays at any Graduate Hotels location. It's sponsored by Tractor Supply and Graduate Hotels, where college fans stay. Hey, welcome into this edition of All Ball. I'm Doug Gottlieb. And uh, listen, I, I could give you some my take on LeBron James, which I'll give you kind of in short order here. I, I don't think it's I don't think it's sinister what he did. I don't think it makes him the devil. I don't think it makes him a bad parent. I also don't think it makes him a good parent. Right. Like there's a different discussion for if a guy's a good parent and if a guy is acting kind of appropriately. I just think it's weird. And I give him a little bit of a pass because that's what happens with superstars. Have you ever been around a rock star, a rap star, a movie star, a basketball player, a football player? They're generally weird. They, they just, they reach it like an art, artistic threshold to where they're, they, they get so right brain that they don't think like you and I do. And one of my, the best guy player, yeah, I mean, I don't know. For me, the best player I ever played with at Oklahoma State was Adrian Peterson, but the best talent who became the best NBA player who was an incredible athlete and hard worker is Desmond Mason. And like, I, I think if I use the word weird with him, it would be unfair, but like, he's an abstract artist, right? And that kind of fits what stars do is they look at the world differently and can see things differently than the rest of us. But dude, I just I don't you don't get up and dunk in your kids' layup lines and you don't come onto the floor. It's not the and one mixtape. It's not. It's not oh baby, oh baby. Do I think it makes him a horrible human being? No. An attention hound? Tad. But I also think in, in all honesty, um, it's just it's just weird. 
It's just weird. Uh, we got a great discussion for you. Mike Boyton is supposed to be my arch enemy, right? He got the Oklahoma State job, the one that I wanted. And turns out he's also actually a really good guy. And it sucks that he's such a good guy. And he's become a good friend of mine. And I thought we'd kind of tell his story a little bit or let him tell his story a little bit. Obviously, two years ago, they had an unbelievable run late in the season. They beat West Virginia. They beat Kansas on the road. They swept Kansas. And they were America's darling and didn't get in the NCAA tournament this year. Not so much. Not so much. But his, his story, how he got to here, is even more interesting than his team he has now. And the team he has now, I think, will be really, really good this year. Really good. So, uh, without further ado, here's my talk with Oklahoma State head coach Mike Boyden. All right, so instead of getting to the job now and, and your playing career at South Carolina, you're, you're Brooklyn-born, but like what, there's all different parts of Brooklyn. What part of Brooklyn? I'm from Bed-Stuy, which is a uh, you know, small section of, of uh, the, I guess it would be the central part of Brooklyn, and uh, that's where I was born and raised. Bed Stuy is um, that's uh, I mean that's what was the what was the it was the I, I read the book uh, Heaven is a Playground right that was that was Bed Stuy yeah. did you ever read that absolutely absolutely there's a lot of legend legend uh, about Bed Stuy Brooklyn some of the best players you've ever maybe never heard of actually uh, are from Bed Stuy and then there's a famous rapper Notorious B.I.G. who's also from Bed Stuy so like so okay so paint the picture of your childhood. Oh, man, it was probably unique in some ways for a kid from Brooklyn and the fact that, you know, unfortunately saying this, especially at Minnesota LeBron talk, I had both of my parents. Uh, I had four sisters, and, and that wasn't really the norm. I grew up with a lot of guys. I started playing basketball organized uh, when I was about eight years old and, and probably only played with, from the time I was eight to the time I was in high school, probably played with two other guys who actually had fathers that were active in their lives. So, I uh, grew up in an area where, you know, there, there was a lot of you know, hustling. Basketball was a way out for a lot of us. Um, and, you know, my parents and my, you know, the older people in my neighborhood kind of protected me from some of the, the pitfalls, whether it be, you know, getting into drug dealing or, you know, uh, things of that nature. I was pretty, um, I was a pretty good student because my parents made it important. Uh, neither one of them went to college. Uh, so it was important that once I had an opportunity, especially to do it for free, uh, that they wanted me to you know, do the things I needed to do in the classroom to make that happen. So uh, academics were always really important. Uh, and, you know, from there, you know, fast forward to high school basketball. Well, don't wait, 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 don't, don't, don't fast forward. Don't fast forward just yet. Okay. So, so what would your, what'd your dad do? So my dad was a stock, uh, worked, basically he was a runner for Charles Schwab on the New York Stock Exchange, yeah. uh, Wall Street and, you know, in the middle of all that hustle, my mom worked in, um, in um, she worked for um, um, a merchant, a sporting goods store called Models. Pretty sure, pretty famous of course. one. So, so you had all the good, um, you had all the good gear. I'm hoping. Man, you know they. First of all, the gear was okay, right? It wasn't like like now we get 15 different colorways of one shoe. Uh, but every now and then, my mom, if I got good enough grades, would surprise me when something came out on a Saturday morning. She, she'd keep a pair aside. Uh, so I remember vividly, it was like 97 or maybe it was 98, uh, being one of the first kids with the foam posits that sure. Duncan wore, the gray one yeah. that looked like a spaceship. 
Sure, uh, terrible shoes to play in. I very cool, but terrible to play in. I felt like foam posits are so heavy. Man, they were bad basketball shoes. Um, okay, so uh, the playground you grew up playing at was what? They're, they're, we played all over, man. We, we were probably the young guys who went to every park. I played at Browns Real Recreational most of the time, but you also went to Tillery Park. You went to Solna Hole, uh, which were both in Brooklyn. Uh, and you played at probably any number of parks between your home and your school. Uh, where I went to PS 308 for my first seven years of elementary. And then I actually was recruited for the first time as a seventh grader to another elementary school um, in Harlem, as a matter of fact. I went to a school called Mount Carmel uh, for my eighth grade year. And we Why? played on a team with seven other guys who played Division One basketball as an eighth grader. Okay, wait, 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 wait. So, wait, why'd you go to Harlem? Like, like for anybody who understands the the, the just logistics of it, did you get on a subway every day to to go to Harlem? Walked to the train, took two trains and a bus to school, took a bus and two trains home every day for my eighth grade year of school. But why? I mean, was it was it because of hoops? Basketball. It was because of hoops. It was because of hoops. Uh, so who hooked who hooked you up? Like, how did you? Uh, Wait, who, who, who come see me kind of in the middle, like the the youth leagues when I was in fifth and sixth grade. I actually got recruited to go there in my seventh grade year. Wasn't really sure I wanted to leave Brooklyn and some of the friends I had. Uh, but once I decided that I knew what high school I wanted to go to, which was Bishop Lachlan, pretty predominant uh, basketball program in Brooklyn, I knew I wanted to start preparing myself to play against great competition every day. Uh, so at 12 years old, man, I started getting on the train and bus every day to go to school. Uh, I had a great experience. Uh, a couple of names you may remember, Tremaine Singletary, uh, Peter Mulligan, who actually went on to have a really good career, Andre Barrett, uh, sure. Seton Hall, um, Kyle Cuff, who played at St. John's. We were all on a, on a uh, eighth grade team together. You know, we, we did not lose a game that year, which I'm still very proud of. And that kind of spurred me on to my high school career. Okay, what what AAU program? Played for Riverside Church, so it's sure. really um, one of the original, you know, true, I guess, stacked AAU teams. It was it was back in the day. Well, before there were fifteen AAU teams in every city, there were there were the Riverside Church Hawks, and there was the yep. New York Astros, and you played sure. for one or the other. So. As many good players as was coming out of New York City at the time, both of us had had really really good teams. Um, okay, now we can fast forward to high school. What what was your high school experience like? Oh, it was phenomenal! So I went to Bishop Lachlan, like I talked about, um, because I knew one of the assistant coaches for the varsity program there, who was my mentor, Kenny Putlow. I was exposed to that program probably from the time I was in fifth or sixth grade. I would go to their practices. I would go to their games. Uh, sometimes I'd even practice with the guys. So I had a lot of familiarity with the people at the school. But when I got there, my experience was unbelievable. I played JV basketball as a freshman in high school um, and had a great experience. I wasn't good enough to play on the varsity team. Then uh, that team had, um, had just graduated Selden Jefferson, who had a great career at West Virginia. Um, my freshman year, the juniors on varsity were Brian Brown and Will Dudley, who both played at Ohio State. Cliff uh, Strong, who's the all-time leading rebounder at my high school, who actually went on to have a really good career at Loyola, Maryland. Um, and so as a freshman, I played JV. I was able to 
be good enough, I guess, as a sophomore to move up to varsity, play for a legendary coach named Bob Lecky, uh, who's still a, a pretty strong figure in youth basketball in New York City now. What was what was can you mentioned Kenny Pretlow is your 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 mentor? Um, yeah. What, what was he like with you? Like, because because again, you know, my my experience is you know, my dad was was the guy who took me around Southern California. He coached my AU teams, and there were a couple other coaches along the way. But like you know, like I experienced much of my high school life like in his Buick, listening to his music, or with dudes from all over the country or all over Southern California. Uh, what, what was your and Kenny's relationship like? Oh, man, so I'm, I actually met Kenny Pretlow when I was about seven years old. I went with an older cousin of mine to an after-school basketball experience or whatever it was, and I was just kind of the little cousin sitting off to the side, but I was pretty tall. I mean, I was one of the taller, you know, I don't know, I was in maybe second or third grade at the time. And uh, I remember Kenny Prello coming up to me asking me afterwards if I liked basketball. And I said, yeah. And he asked if I ever played. And I told him I only play when I go to the park with my dad. Uh, he said, would your mom let you play on the team? And I remember, like, I don't know. And he actually drove me and my cousin home that day to ask my mom if she would be okay with me coming back to go to the after-school program to be a part of the team. Uh, so Kenny started pouring into my life when I was really, really young. And uh, we still have a tremendous relationship to this day. But he, if you if you talk about being discovered, he would be the first coach that I really ever had that saw something in me that thought I could maybe, you know, at least be good enough as a seven, eight year old to play on a, you know, elementary school team. Uh, but from then, man, I just developed a great relationship with him. So Kenny worked for Riverside Church. Ernie Lawrence was the founder of that program, and he was the guy in Brooklyn because Riverside Church is in Harlem. He was the guy for contact for all the kids in Brooklyn and would make sure we got the practices and games and things like that. And I remember Kenny drove probably, a, this was in, a, I'm going to guess this in late 80s to maybe 1990, and Kenny Prello drove a, a standard like Buick four-door car, and he would pile seven or eight dudes and just drive them around to different places in the city to play. Uh, and, and, you know, we never thought anything else. You know, we just loved hoop. And we loved each other. And Kenny was doing this all. We didn't have to pay anything. Um, and so we had a great time doing it. So I'm, I'm very thankful for him kind of saying something in me that, that kind of spared me on for the rest of my life. Your favorite basketball player growing up was who? My favorite player growing up, I had, a, I had several. From a, from a professional standpoint, I was a Knicks fan. Uh, so I really admired John Starks and Anthony Mason and Charles Oakley. But I still was an MJ fan. I mean, I loved the way he played the flair, uh, the dominance, the competitiveness. But guys that I, I didn't feel connected to those guys, you know, and I really didn't see myself as an NBA player. I just admired that they did it at the highest level. Uh, but I did grow up in the era where Jamal Mashburn was a pretty big figure in New York yeah. City, you know, in the early 90s, late 80s. So he was somebody I really, really looked up to. In fact, uh, he's the reason I actually became a Kentucky fan uh, as a young guy because I watched Mashburn from the Bronx go to Kentucky, have great success, and get drafted. Um, and then I also became a Patino fan because he's a New York guy. He coached the Kentucky, then he coached the Knicks. So those would be the guys that I probably looked up to the most. But I mean, I was around so many great players. I mean, from Elton Brand to Ron Artest to Lamar Odom. 
to guys, again, that you may have never even heard of in the likes of Sheldon Jefferson, who went to my high school, and Brian Brown. You know, and then I played against high-level competition. Uh, in fact, in my senior year in high school in New York City, I played Rice, guard. Rice, Rice, was, Rice was loaded, right? Rice was loaded. Anthony and, and then St. Ray's had – St. Ray's was Julius Hodge, right? So St. Ray's had Julius Hodge, and Rice had like four dudes. Yeah, they had Majestic Map. I mean, there was just talent all over New York City at the time. And guys that were going on and having good careers – in college, in my senior year, which was 2000, there were three McDonald All-American point guards from New York City. So three guys in one city who played the same position all became McDonald's All-Americans. That was my competition growing up. And it's probably the reason that I've always had to fight a little bit harder. I wasn't as talented as those dudes, but still thought that I could achieve uh, at least close to the same level as they could. The three guys were, what, Andre Barrett? Andre um, Barrett, who, who uh, went to Rice High School and then went on to have a really good career at Seton Hall. Uh, yep. Salik Brown, yep. uh, who St. St. John's Prep, right? There. Yeah, St. John's Prep. Um, St. John's Prep. And Omar Cook, mm-hmm. who went mm-hmm. to Christ the King. Um, arguably one of the best pa- He's the best passer I've ever seen. No disrespect, Doug. Didn't watch you play a ton. Um, but still playing. I mean, this is he left college. He left St. John's after his freshman year, which would have been in 2001. Uh, still playing professional basketball, so those three guys. That was, you know, those were my. That was my competition, and if I wanted to do something with the game, I had to prove that I could at least compete with those dudes uh, every day. But those are still, you know, really good friends of mine. You were, and you were known as Steady Mike at the time. Who, who's Steady just? Mike? I need you to be. I, I, who gave you that nickname? T. Edwards. So there's a big event named uh, ISA. It's a it's a local tournament in Queens. Literally at a, I had a middle school gym that maybe on a good day seats two hundred, and um, you know you go in there and, and you either can play or you can't. There's no hype. You don't come in ranked and people care. You get on the court and you can play or, or you can't, and you get called out for it either way. Uh, so I was a guy who I didn't have a whole lot of flash, just efficient. Got the ball to, yeah, got the ball where it needed to go. Made an open shot when I needed to. Defended really hard. Was unselfish, and uh, you know because of that, that's what you know. Pete kind of gave me the name Steady Mike. In fact, a, a quick story. So the last time I played in I State, um, Omar, Talik, and Andre all played together on a team against the team that I was playing with. Now I had some really good players, um, and we actually beat them in the championship game, and I was the MVP. So that's my claim to fame. <laughs> They were three McDonald's All-Americans, but the one time they teamed up and played against me, I won, and I walked away with the hardware. Oh, no, no question, because you know they were all doing their they're, they're all doing their and one mixtape thing. And uh, okay, oh, so yeah. n- now now here comes the big question: How the hell did you get to South Carolina? Because now, look, I know the history of Frank McGuire and bringing New York City guys down, but like that was a long that was back. I mean, that was a long time ago. Um, it was. So how did how did you how did how did it become South Carolina? Like how did you get out of the Big East? And I'll be honest, I'm not sure that had any. The really didn't have anything to do with me, and it really wasn't even talked about in my recruitment as much. I learned about that more as I was after I committed and started doing more research. And then obviously once you're there, I knew who Coach McGuire was, but didn't really know the history of all the great players from New York City who had gone there. Uh, I was really recruited because in the late '90s. They were playing 
three good guards together, Larry Davis, Melvin Watson, and B.J. Mackey, might have been your class or maybe the year before. B.J. Mackey was my class, yeah. B.J. Mackey was my class. But yeah, out, remember, it's my yeah. class, and then I, I transferred out of Notre Dame, so I sat out a year. Yeah, so yeah, then I, I yeah. became 2000, yeah. Yeah, so those guys um, were kind of the three-headed monster and Coach Fogler, who had been an assistant coach at North Carolina and then went to Wichita State, Vandy, in South Carolina, was also from New York City and always desired to go back there and recruit, you know, smart, tough, you know, point guards who kind of he – he thought could play the Carolina way, you know, North Carolina, the way he knew it. Uh, so sure. he came and recruited me. In fact, um, Rick Callahan was my primary recruiter, and John Cooper did some some legwork on it as well. But um, got to know him, and just I just had an unbelievable feel for his genuineness. Um, and, and as you get older, you have more of appreciation for people who are really honest. And Coach Fogel, I felt, was the most honest person uh, that I connected with in my recruitment. Not that anybody else was dishonest. I just felt the connection with him that he was being you know, truthful, truthful about what my experience would be there. Um, so, you know, I visited UMass, Seton Hall, Boston College, and South Carolina, and you know, ultimately committed to go to South Carolina and play there. That's that's an, that's an, that's, a, that's an amazing uh, juxtaposition in schools, right? Because if you've been like you now, UMass is UMass is a college town. It's up in Amherst, right? And if you visit in the fall, it's very pretty. Um, yep. You know, Boston College is outside of uh, of Boston, right? And Chestnut Hill is really nice, small though, and private and Catholic, right? And then Seton Hall is right there in, in East Orange, and probably felt yep. more like some. And then South Carolina is state capital, Southern college town, very very different. Um, yes, you go. So I, I'd have to imagine like your first year had to be a trip like because for me my first year i was in notre dame it's in the midwest it's catholic i was a public school guy you know like some of the parts i liked, some of the parts i didn't like what was it like at south carolina for a bed kid it was tough i convinced myself that that i wanted to get away i didn't really think about the cultural differences because you only know what you know and although i traveled a lot i'd been to paris twice and I played in basketball a lot of different places I never stayed anywhere, like, permanent, you know. And so when you go to college, you're there. So I I still remember, like yesterday, when my parents first left campus on a Saturday night, my first couple days, I was really uncomfortable. I didn't really know anybody. My teammates were all comfortable. They had established friends. Uh, And I'm not necessarily an extrovert. I'm probably more extroverted now than I was, you know, 20 years ago. Um, But I still remember just feeling like, man, this just doesn't feel good to be here and, and first of all I go outside at you know 7.30 after dinner and no one's outside nobody's playing ball no one's shooting dice no one's talking no one's joking on each other there's no rap battles going on in the corner you know what I mean just stuff that I was just accustomed to being around you know not necessarily I took part in all of it but just feeling like the city was lively and there was always things going on um, but, so it took me probably about three months and I probably I would say I didn't really get comfortable again until the season started where I felt like things were normal again and I was just hooping and I was with my teammates every day and we we're going to practice um, but I remember like yesterday getting in my car after a preseason workout on like a Thursday and coaches gave us off the weekend and getting in my car like six o'clock and driving through the night to go back to Brooklyn like I need to get back to the city and 
uh, I pulled up into my parents' uh, apartment or whatever at like you know, four in the morning the next day, and my mom looked at me like, if you ever do this again, we're, we're going to have a serious conversation because she did not want me, hey, driving home in the middle of the night, but also she didn't want me back in the city uh, where, she, where she knew I should have been off of school doing, doing things that she sent me to do. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's bracket season, and you can pre-register now for Fox Sports Radio's Bracket Challenge at FoxSportsRadio.com. Get details, rules, and pre-register so you can easily create your winning bracket when it's live on March 17th. Once you fill out your bracket, you're entered for a chance to win the ultimate college sports trip for you and a friend, including travel and stays at any Graduate Hotels location. It's sponsored by Tractor Supply and Graduate Hotels, where college fans stay. You mentioned how how uh, honest Eddie Fogler was and how um, earnest he felt he was. Did you know he was going to retire after your freshman season? No, and it's interesting because, you know, I felt I felt like – so I, my freshman year, I didn't play a ton. I wasn't good enough to play. I mean, I, I know that now. I probably didn't realize that as much then. But I felt good about him, and I felt good about my development under his watch. Well, I remember at the end of the season, um, it was actually right after the SEC tournament, Coach Fogler calls a meeting on that Sunday night. And I don't think we thought we were making the tournament, but I think we thought we were making the NIT. So I just thought we were meeting about, you know, who we were going to be playing next. And lo and behold, I hear the night before, you know, South Carolina's going to match up with UConn and the first round in IT. And I'm like, all right, great. guess maybe some people can come watch me in stores, Connecticut, from Brooklyn. But um, it wasn't. Coach Fogler actually had announced his retirement or told our AD that he was walking away. Um, and, and that was a shock to all of us. Um, I, I don't know if it was somber because the way Coach delivered it, 
uh, felt it was felt it was mutual. Felt like it was just the right time. He and his AD started maybe button heads a little bit too much. He didn't really want to start. Uh, he saw kind of the change in in the way things were being done uh, on a recruiting side. Didn't want to necessarily do some of those things anymore. And so, uh, but as I thought about, you know, immediately you thought, man, I could have went somewhere else if I knew coach was going to leave. Well, UMass had fired Bruiser Flint, who recruited me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jay Wright, who was at Hofstede, left to go to Villanova. <laughs> and Tommy Hamilton went to Michigan. Um, okay, so uh, before we get to, to, to playing for Dave Odom, which ultimately ended up in uh, the NCAA tournament appearance your senior year, you, you, what was it like to lose? You mentioned eighth grade, you didn't lose a game. You wouldn't have been all city like I don't know if you guys won the city champion, but you wouldn't have been all city unless you guys won. You know, so I'm like this was this was what I went through at Notre Dame. I'd never been yeah. on a bad team before. I'd never been on a bad team before, and we were just not good enough. We were young, and we were Notre Dame, and we were too slow, and not and the Big East was loaded, and it was as much as being across the country in a different environment that I wasn't used to was hard. It was also really really hard to lose. What was that like oh, for man. you? Uh, it, it was it was incredibly frustrating because, and this is going to sound like total fabrication, but my dad probably still has a taste to prove it. From the time I started playing basketball at eight years old, I yeah. did not lose a game until after I graduated from eighth grade. So I went like four and a half years of playing basketball without ever experiencing what losing was like. In fact, wait, 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 wait. wait. You never lost like... Like wait wait in sixth and seventh eighth grade like you never like never you never lost a game in school or in like you know the tournaments that we we won every we won every tournament so we lose a turn we lose for the first time the summer of I guess it's ninety six I'm going into my freshman year in high school the summer event and I come home and tell my dad I don't want to play basketball anymore <laughs> that was my reaction I swear and he's like. Okay, first of all, if you don't want to play, you're on this team, and you're going to finish the season. <laughs> and then, if you don't want to play, I'm not going to make you. You're going to go tell your coach and your teammates that you're not going to play with the team. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm probably not going to do that. I'm probably not going to tell them I quit. So, I kept playing. <laughs> that's that's that amazing. Okay, so so now you're, now you're at South Carolina. Almost, and look. Almost 13 years old. Yeah, so. so my so, freshman year, and. You know, we're just okay, and I'm not necessarily involved. I'm not the man by any stretch. I'm barely a backup uh, and frustrating. Just I don't understand why I'm not playing more, you know. And um, so, yeah, it was frustrating. It was hard to understand, you know, to, to move on to the next thing. you got to prepare the same way for the next game as you do for the last. Uh, and there's incredibly high, incredible highs and lows in college basketball. We got off to a good start. You know, my freshman year, you know, probably there wasn't all these – preseason events, so I don't think we were in one at all. So we, we probably started like 9-2 and two or something like that. And we win our, my first ever SEC game. We play Florida at home. A kid named Travis Kraft hits a shot at the buzzer after not playing the whole game to beat Florida in 2001. Wow. And I'm thinking, like, man, this is cool. This is like the best thing I could ever imagine. Uh, then we go on to maybe win like six games and go like six and ten. Six and uh, ten is So correct. it was hard. And, and then it becomes more complicated when you think, all right, this is my chance to step up and now i got a new coach coming in who didn't recruit me, maybe doesn't value the same things Coach Fogler did. 
Um, and so it was, it was a challenging transition. Well, so what was that like? You know, like, did you, your, your first meeting with Dave Odom, what was it team setting? Did he call you in? Like, how did, how did it work? Nah, team setting. And, you know, just before social media. So there was literally just talk. There wasn't any, this guy was, you know, rumored to have been on this campus or these are the people. In fact, people thought that, um, Tubby Smith, who was the coach at Kentucky, crazy to sound, he was the coach at Kentucky at the time was right. going to leave there to come coach in South Carolina because he was an assistant there, you know, like a decade before he's from North Carolina and they thought they could get him there. Well, obviously we don't want to Tubby and coach Odom comes in and, you know, the very first meeting he's like, well, you guys didn't pick me, but this is kind of the way things are going to go from here. We want to be athletic. We want to be fast. I've coached in the ACC. You know, I know what it takes to have success. And some of us are looking around like, what does that mean for me? You know what I mean? <laughs> I hear what you're saying, Coach, but you didn't say anything about me. Coach Fogler recruited me and said all the things that he was going to do to help me. Uh, so it took a little while. And um, on his staff, Frank Haith had come in with him from Wake. And I started, I may, I may have met with Coach Haith in the week he was there more than I even met with Coach Odom. I may have talked to Coach Odom once. Uh, and then a week later, Frank Haith leaves and goes to be an assistant at Texas. Yeah. And so it was a, so, you know, you just kind of, you don't understand it at 19 years old. Like, there's a business side of this thing. Yeah. Um, but obviously, I appreciate all that stuff even more now. But I was just okay. Coach brought us some other guys, and we had more success my sophomore year than we did my freshman year. We still went to the NIT. Uh, but we actually almost won it. We lost in the championship game to Memphis, uh, Kyle's team with DeWan Wagner in, in 2002, and uh, felt like, you know, all right, now's the time to step up. Had two guys who were senior point guards uh, ahead of me, thought I could kind of transition to being a starter, um, and it actually wound up being my worst year of my career, my junior year in college. It, it's interesting because you were behind uh, Aaron Lucas, who yeah. was a not? He wasn't just a South Carolina kid. He was like a Columbia, South Carolina kid. Oh yeah, absolutely. Which is, was. I mean, that's that's hard, yeah. right? Like you're like, yo, I'm Steady yeah, Mike from yeah. Brooklyn. I'm all city. They're like, we never heard of you. Yeah. Or this is South Carolina. Like yeah. this is before, like you said, social media. No one even knew. And um, I didn't experience this as much in Oklahoma. Like when I got there, there was a Stell Laster who transferred out and Joe Atkins. But like you know, Oklahoma fans knew Oklahoma kids. So they didn't right. care really what you did beforehand, you know. They they did. It's a different. No so why why was your junior year so frustrating? Just because I think my my mindset changed. Those guys are gone. Now it's my time, and uh, I, I you know, I'll put it on myself. I, I probably didn't work as hard as I could have that year to prove that I deserved to play more. Uh, and you know, truthfully, we had poor internal leadership. It's one of the things I stress so much now. Is, uh, you know, we had a couple seniors who were totally bought into just becoming pros and what the year was going to be like for them. Um, and so it was we were really, really frustrated. We actually wound up finishing dead last. I think we were 12 and 16 that year. We had four seniors, and, you know, it was just a really, really poor experience. And I didn't do anything to help myself. I actually stopped being as focused and maybe than I could have been in like scout report and film sessions and. You know, I was never disrespectful or, or anything, you know, outright wrong, but I definitely didn't have the focus that I needed to uh, to be able to help our program. 
So what changed in your senior year? Because your senior year, you had a great year. You averaged like yeah. 10 a game. You know, they brought in Trey Kelly, but, you know, you yeah. didn't, you know, you, you guys played together some. He backed you up. Um, I know the Ronaldo yeah, Balkman, I think, changed. was. Yeah. So I how, changed wh- first. And Dave Odom actually met with me after that season and said, hey, listen, I think you're a good kid. You have some talent. You're not going to play next year. We got a set, we got this kid signed from DC who's terrific and he's going to be our starting point guard next year. And I just kind of nodded my head, kind of like you know what? No one's ever told me that you suck, basically. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and you're not good enough to play, and so you're not. So just you know, you can stay on scholarship and graduate. And and uh, that was after that was probably in March or April. After my junior year, so going into the off season for my senior year, and I and be perfectly honest, I just worked harder than I had ever worked in my life. Uh, I met with our strength and conditioning coach every single day. Uh, changed my body. I went from I think about thirteen percent body fat and weighing about probably one ninety six, one ninety seven to like four and a half percent body fat and weighing like one eighty nine. So really toned up. Got in the best shape of my life. And was just determined that I was going to, A, prove that I I was worthy of being recruited here. Because to this point, I haven't done anything worth noting about, right? Yeah. Um, B, if there's any chance you're going to play basketball for a living, you need to have a good year. And C, your coach just looked you in your eye and told you that you suck. And so I had a lot of, I had a chip on my shoulder going into that that uh, that year. And, you know, I was more de- even more determined to make sure our team had success and that I could experience playing an NCAA tournament. It's fascinating because that experience for you um, has to be really interesting as, as a head coach because, and I don't know, and like you and I have talked coaching philosophy some, but I think it's interesting. A lot of coaches, they get down on kids and they, they can't ever see that the kid has changed or that the kids evolved. Like they just, I mean, if coaches, especially assistant coaches I talk to, they're like, man, I just, I can't talk my head coach into liking this kid like he's just done with him he just wants and wants to run him off get a scholarship spot open when kids do change right they do go home they do become better shooters they do right and it's so so do you is that is that part of have you been able to maintain that part of who you are as a head coach that like look this is who this guy was this kid was but i'm willing because i know there's like i know you have a kid on your team who had a, actually had a hell of a year. You and I talked about him before the year. You're like, man, I don't know. But because, because he does one thing really, really well, he ended up, end up being a guy you had to have on the floor. I just wonder sure. how much of that you use from your own experience into your own team now. Yeah, I mean, I use it a little bit for my experience, but I've also evolved as a person, and I've coached long enough to have seen it also. Um, and, and it keeps coming up every year where you see a guy who's friends who could go either way. And a lot of it is, I mean, coaches have a lot more influence over a kid's mindset than they, than they give themselves credit for. Sure. And kids know when you believe in them, they know when you trying to help them be better. They know when you're committed to seeing that they have some success. Um, and I remember, you know, working at South Carolina, we had a kid who, who, and it probably ended up, honestly, at the end of the day, really, really derailing our opportunity to stay there. A kid named Ramon Galloway, 
from South Florida, really, really talented. Came in like a four-star. He was being recruited by other schools at that level. And he committed to us. He's got all this promise, but he's button heads with our head coach all the time. And after his sophomore year, man, he just can't. He can't get out of his own way, and we can't help him and can't figure it out. I mean, I don't know if you ever heard his name before. The kid transferred yes, to LaSalle. Yep. I did his game at LaSalle. I did his game at LaSalle. Them to this tournament. They beat yep. K-State in the first round. They go to Sweet 16. <laughs> John Giannini gets an extension. We get fired two years later. <laughs> um, did, you, did you think you'd be a coach? Did I think I would be a coach? Yeah, when you're when you're playing, you're like, I could do that. I mean, what was the obviously everybody has everybody thinks they're going to play. I always thought I could coach, uh, and I always thought that maybe later on in my life I would try to maybe coach, maybe youth basketball. I didn't think about coaching college. Um, you know, in New York, you just expose to so much professional sports. You don't really think about college athletics that much. Um, but as I got into coach, as I got into college, I started to think more about man. I really kind of see the thing see the game differently to my teammates. You know, I understand everything my coach says the very first time he says it, I can go do it. Either any of the five positions on the floor that he's told maybe he can't do it as well as the seven-footer, but I can do that too. I can guard, you know what I mean? Uh, so I've always felt like I thought the game uh, like the coach, and I really hoped that I would play, to be perfectly honest, uh, sure. You know, for, for a few years. And you know, it didn't pan out. I had an opportunity maybe to go to Belgium right after my senior year. I had some knee issues, which kind of slowed me down. But the truth is, I just wasn't a pro basketball player, man. You know, <laughs> And so you know, I got into coaching on the advice of, again, both of my college coaches called me after I kind of got over feeling bad for myself that I didn't have great professional playing opportunities. I said, hey, man, we think you could do this. You know, I talked to Coach Vogel and Coach Odom, and they helped me get on as a, as a graduate assistant with Larry Davis, uh, at Furman University, Larry was most recently the associate head coach at Cincinnati. Yeah, yeah. Larry, Larry's, Larry's, Larry's kind of a crazy person, like, like yeah, in a good Larry, way. Larry's I mean, a bulldog. He, uh, yeah. he works at it. He's got a lot of relationships. He makes guys better. Uh, but I learned so much from him about the grind that is college basketball coaching. Uh, in fact, he threatened to fire me in my interview. Um, I'm not saying the day I got the job. During the interview, he threatened to fire me. So he set the tone, like, this is how this is going to be. And you're either going to do it or you're not. And you're going to learn a lot if you do it the right way or you're not going to be here. So um, I learned that this this harshness, I worked for six different guys, I believe. They all do it differently, uh, but they've all had a certain level of success. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Ah! 
6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's bracket season, and you can pre-register now for... Fox Sports Radio's Bracket Challenge at foxsportsradio.com. Get details, rules, and pre-register so you can easily create your winning bracket when it's live on March 17th. Once you fill out your bracket, you're entered for a chance to win the ultimate college sports trip for you and a friend, including travel and stays at any Graduate Hotels location. It's sponsored by Tractor Supply and Graduate Hotels, where college fans stay. All right, so you're working for Larry at, at Furman. Um, and then you, did you go to work for Buzz at Coastal? Is that what happened, Buzz Peterson? I did. I did, yeah, yeah. So Buzz had been at um, Tennessee. You know, Buzz was pretty successful at App State and, and then actually took over for Bill Self's Tulsa team when Bill left. I think Bill might have gone to the, like the Sweet 16 or Elite 8 at Tulsa and, and before he went to Illinois. So Buzz takes over for Bill Self. He has a good year with them. I think they go to the NIT championship game. And then he gets a Tennessee job, and and uh, you know he gets fired in 2005. At the same time, I'm finishing my GA year at Furman, and uh, he gives me my first assistant coaching on the road recruiting opportunity. Okay, so um, you mentioned Furman. So Furman's a small. I've I've heard. I've never been there. I've heard just incredibly beautiful small school in North Carolina. What was that South GA Carolina? like? Since South I mean, South Carolina. Carolina excuse me. Okay, so um, what, what is one of the beautiful, most beautiful campuses you, you'll ever, you know, visit? It's a high academic school, um, in the in the south in the uh, Southern Conference. Did you get your master's there? What did you do your during your GA year? Like, what was that? Like? So, so I started. I actually started a master's program, master's in teaching, um, it was a two year program. But after my after my first year, Furman is when Buzz got the the uh, Coastal Carolina job and. And I went with him, so did finish, and I finished my masters. How did it come about? Because Buzz is a Carolina guy, right? Like even now, he's working for Jordan with with the Bobcats. How did you get into the Carolina? I mean, I guess to kind of like well, how did you get into yeah, that Carolina so, family? So again, Coach Fogler's been a mentor, uh, big help for me all my career. And he actually recruited Buzz, and actually recruited Buzz in the same class that he recruited Michael Jordan in, um, and and uh, helped. Because you know, obviously Buzz wouldn't bring his whole staff from Tennessee down to that level. All of them were kind of looking for more opportunities to stay a high major program. So there was an opportunity there, and uh, yeah, I was ready to take it. 
Okay, so Coastal, for people who don't know, uh, Coastal Carolina is in what? Conway, South Carolina. So, like, you just can't get out of the state of Ca- Car- South Carolina, right? Like, you come down, no. you're like, man, I, no. um, so you, you take you take this job. What was it like when he, what was the instructions he gave you on your first, now you're on the road actually recruiting? Yeah, so the first thing I had to do is I went to the Southern Conference uh, office and took the recruiting test. It was in uh, in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and so I drove up there, took the test, and I literally get the results, and I go on the road from the test. And I go recruiting in North Carolina, uh, some places that buzz had known some people, and you know, we're just trying to figure out how to get this program going. They weren't very good the year before. Uh, so I hit the ground running. Didn't know anything about recruiting. Uh, did think I knew how to identify talent, um, but kind of learned on the ropes and started figuring things out from there. You know, it's interesting because um, uh, Self would, has told me the story of, of Billy Clyde, of Billy Gillespie, that Billy was at Baylor in 97, and that's when Self hired him to Tulsa. And he literally said, like, he hired him, like, on the phone. And he's like, hey, man, send me some hats and shirts. And he's like, sent him ahead to like the hotel, wherever they were going to be, wherever he's going to stay. And like literally the next day, he just changed hats, T-shirts, and he started recruiting for Tulsa. <laughs> like it was, it was literally Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. Uh, so, so what, what was it like? Like you're in your, you're, you were born 82. This is 05. So you're 23 yeah. years, 23 years old. You've been out of school old, for, for been out of college a year. And, um, you know, literally just trying to get my feet wet. You know, and I really didn't understand at the time levels of basketball, you know, from a collegiate standpoint, like who's realistic to recruit here. And so you just kind of start calling people you know and, and trying to get the best guys possible. And uh, so we stopped that though, but we landed a couple of pretty good kids. We actually got a kid out of Tennessee uh, who was a really good player uh, named Josh Mack. But the first kid I ever personally signed was a kid named Everett Richardson. Um you know, obviously, you go back to what you know, and I knew some people in New York. Everett was a non-qualifier out of New York City, out of Brooklyn. I knew his older brother. I knew his AAU guys. And so they said, hey, if you can help us figure out a way to get this kid eligible, you know, he'll come to Myrtle Beach. So uh, he was actually at Sullivan Community College in New York. I went up and saw him, visited with his mom and brother. And, uh, you know, the rest of the history is the first kid I ever signed. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm proud he was to all right. he's still like, playing basketball now. Yeah, he's still playing. Like, I just looked him up while yeah. you were talking. Like, he, he must have <laughs> got hurt his he must have got hurt his second year because he was averaging like 14 a game but only played 17 games. But, yeah, he's yep. still playing. Yeah, he's still hooping. Uh, he's got a family now. And, you know, one of my proudest stories is, so when I first start talking to this kid and his family, obviously you do the background and transcripts. And, I mean, it's not, not anything that you would take anywhere close to Stanford or even Furman, for that matter. And uh wondering, like, man, how are we going to get this kid into a college? Uh, and I remember sitting in this living room and telling the kid, hey, if you, if you take a chance and believe in me and our staff and what we can do here, then when you graduate from college, I'll be there for your graduation. Uh, and the kid came in highly motivated. Obviously, he had a lot of academic support um, and he graduated. I made sure I was there, even though I was no longer working at Coastal Carolina. By the time he actually did uh, finish his degree, two years later. Yeah, he's playing. He played in Iceland last year. Yep. Average average thirty a game in Iceland. <laughs> he's a bucket getter. Always has been. 
He is. He's still getting buckets in Iceland, right? He's still, and he's only. You're. I don't know if you know this. Like you're only like three and a half years older than him, right? Like I mean, you oh, guys. Yeah, I know. No, listen. I knew his older brother, so I knew him because he was kind of the little guy around when we were big. You know, big guys playing. So I kind of had a. It, it was a, it was an easy end and way for me to get started. So yeah, uh, I, and I still talk to the kids to this day. He sends me uh, okay, of so the kids and you know all those all those good things. So then you're there for two years. Uh, yep. How did you come to work for Mike Young at, at Wofford? Yeah, so the business of basketball continues to get revealed to me two years in. Uh, we actually started hearing some grumblings about midway through our second year there that Buzz wasn't necessarily happy um, coaching at that level anymore. And that Buzz, had act, Buzz and Michael Jordan are st- have always remained really close, right. even when they went different ways from a professional standpoint. Uh, and Buzz Michael Jordan would come down to Wilmington, where he's from, which is about an hour from Conway, Myrtle Beach area, where Coastal is, and they would golf throughout the year. We started hearing rumblings about Buzz maybe leaving. We, again, I'm young. I'm just excited to be working, and lo and behold, about maybe like early April, mid-April, uh, Buzz calls us into a meeting and says, hey, this opportunity come up. I can't pass up. Michael wants to come join his, his front office staff with the – at the time, they were the Bobcats, I believe. Yep. And um, and the rest was history. I mean, we're sitting there as a staff trying to figure out what's next because, you know, when you're a college assistant and your guy leaves for another college job, you think there's an opportunity for you to go with him. And but when he goes to the NBA and he's not coaching, <laughs> doesn't really necessarily work that you have a have an opportunity there. So he was off to the NBA, and Cliff Ellis came in. Uh, who I never really met. I played against his teams uh, at Auburn when I was in college. I didn't really know much about him other than that. Uh, and then Mike Young had a change in his staff, and I respected Mike and, and had a conversation with him about that and took that opportunity to go work for him. Uh, the, 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 the major news in that story was Coastal Carolina's a pretty well-paying job for uh, a lower-level school. Uh, so I was at I was probably 25 years old at the time, and I was making about 65,000. They gave me a car and a cell phone, and life was good. Could have probably stayed there in Myrtle Beach for a long time, single. Uh, and I went to Wofford, uh, took about a $15,000 pay cut, maybe a little bit more, no car, no cell phone, but an opportunity to work for a guy I had a lot of respect for and thought would have a chance to be really successful. And Mike Young, who uh, remains really, really close uh, to me and my family. Yeah, and of course he just he he finally left after such an incredible yeah, success. Unbelievable, man! I, I'm shocked it took this long because uh, you can't imagine the the lack of um, the resources that he was able to have a unbelievable amount of success with for 25 some odd years at Wofford. I mean, literally when I worked for him, I was his associate head coach, and this was in 2007. And we had another assistant coach who was full time, and we had a third assistant in title only because he did not get paid by the university. He actually had a job that he worked from 8 to 3, and then he came to the office for practice. That's crazy. It's crazy. Okay, let's, let's, yep. let's go back for a sec. So now, you, now you're starting to build up kind of a working for different guys, and it's not like you're in one basketball family, right, where, like, the Carolina guys all run the Carolina secondary into motion. They run kind of the same stuff back then, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... And, you know, like, uh, you know, and before you became an Underwood guy, but like Underwood, like you guys kind of all run that same spread. You guys all play defense. Sure. There's a similar style yeah. or whatever. But, yeah. okay, but, but 
you played for two different coaches, and now you've yep. worked for this is your third coach. Mike's your third coach you've worked for. All right, so let's yep. let's go through it for a second. Fogler, his greatest strength as a coach. You already talked about how honest a guy he was. Yeah. But what is his greatest strength as a coach? Just preparation. Uh, the most meticulously prepared coach that I've ever been around. I mean, it's down to a science. Every out-of-bounds play, every out-of-timeout that the other team would, he would know it, and he would have us prepared to, to defend it and to attack them defensively. If you were going to be honest with him and tell him, here's something that he could have done better, what would it be? Uh, he was extremely rigid. I mean, he was an old-school guy. This is how we do things, right? And so from a player development standpoint, there wasn't a whole lot of emphasis. There wasn't a whole lot of emphasis uh, in terms of that specifically as it relates to strength and conditioning. So I think just some of the, the, the changes, he wasn't very adaptable um, from a coaching standpoint. And I think part of it is he watched Coach Smith do it for so long one way and then also had success himself for so long doing it that way. Remember, he was the coach of the year at Wichita State uh, when they were in the Valley. He was the coach of the year in the SEC when he first came in at Vanderbilt and took them to the tournament. There was a coach of the year in the SEC with South Carolina playing the, playing the same style with a, a different type of player at South Carolina. So it's pretty set in his ways is, is one of the things that I would say he wasn't very adaptable. Okay. Um... Let me ask you about Buzz. What was Buzz's greatest strength as a coach? Oh, man, just the most easygoing guy that you could imagine. Didn't sweat anything. Uh, the house may be on fire, and he'll tell you, man, it's just getting warm in here. <laughs> but that's just Buzz. You know, he, he was very, very relaxed, very confident, very comfortable um, with the, the way things were going. All right, and then is that, was that his weakness, too? Is that there was some, some detail yeah, stuff yeah, that he yeah. really got? It, it hurt. You know, it hurt us in a lot of ways. Um, and, and, again, it's hard for me to speak on how he was before he coached at Coastal because he had had so much success and did a really good job at Tennessee. If, if we're being honest, they didn't make the tournament a ton, but he had built what Bruce Pearl took over and then elevated. You know, it was based on the foundation that Buzz had built. But, yeah, it hurt him in recruiting. Um, again, there was times when he would take off with Michael Jordan and go play golf uh, in the middle of the year. And that's just not something that you see very often. Uh, but that was Buzz. <laughs> Yeah, no, we, we, we played their App State team my senior year. They were really good. We, we kicked the hell out of them. We, we, we played really, really well that game. But yeah. well, I remember watching them. On, it's one of those, like, you play a team, and they're supposed to be good, and then you kick the shit out of them. And you're like, man, they're not any good. And then you watch them, and you're like, oh, they just didn't play well. <laughs> yeah, and we actually absolutely. played. We actually played. had a night where we played really, really well. Um, okay. Sure. So, so now you – what about – what? okay, you, we talked about Mike Young. What, what, how was he able what's, – what's the secret sauce there? So the secret sauce of Mike is that he is a basketball junkie. I mean, in terms of just meticulously studying the game, being on top of recruiting, uh, but at a place where there was a, a, not a whole lot of pressure, but you wouldn't be able to tell that. He worked every day like, you know, he was on the hot seat. And, and that's part of the reason he was so driven and had so, so much success. Because even though he worked at a place, I think it was just his competitive nature. You know, he watched – uh, and it was after Coach Crest, but the great college of Charleston teams, Chattanooga had a good run, and then Davidson basically took over the league there in the mid-2000s. So uh, I think just his competitive drive is what made him really, really good because he was so determined uh, to overcome some of those challenges. Uh, okay, so you're there one year, right? Just yeah. one year. And now all of a sudden, uh, Dave Odom, who you 
had played for your last three years. He, uh, I don't know if he did he retire. He got fired. I think he got yeah, fired. He retired. He retired. Oh, he retired. He retired so every, everybody who coaches you retires, by the way. Not Just a place you go to retire. <laughs> Right, that's it's true though, right? College of Charleston is, is the ultimate retired job, but like, yeah. right? So you have you have two that you played for, both retired, and then Buzz essentially retired too. So uh, yeah. you know, maybe yeah, he's never coached again. Yeah. So, um, so, so Darren Horn gets the job. How? Yeah. What was the, what was the decision like to go back to your alma mater? Man, it was uh, 25 again. I'm 25 years old, 26 maybe, and, you know, my alma mater opens, and I'm 90 minutes up the road, and I've kind of established a little bit of a work ethic, a little bit of a reputation as somebody who can help get players and develop them and all that stuff. Uh, the, the thing I miscalculated was just how it was working for someone at the high major level that you don't know. Um, and so it was a bit of an adjustment. Then I did a great job in terms of bringing a winning attitude and trying to change the culture because it had gone stale a little bit at the end of Coach Odom's time. Uh, he's high energy. He had just come off. He's the hot name. He just come off a of Sweet 16 at Western Kentucky. Uh, the thing we miscalculated was just how much, you know, how much the difference is in terms of recruiting and having talent to win in the SEC versus uh, the Sun Belt at the time. And West Kentucky is the best job in that yeah. league at the time. Yeah. South Carolina is not the best job in the SEC. So the way what? you approach things and have success uh, are really not that close. Why Why? Why is, like, I'm, I'm fascinated by South Carolina, uh, not just knowing you, knowing Frank, um, um, not to not to name drop, but, but um, Darius Rucker is a friend of mine, and... Um, I don't know if you remember Anton James. Uh, not uh, um, oh, yeah. what's his name, Harold Harold Jameson. So Harold Jameson, before my senior year, he came out, stayed at my house all summer, played with us in AU, and he went to Clemson. And yep. he he started talking about all the dudes in the state of South Carolina, and I didn't know like yep. that was before I'd ever seen Kevin Garnett play. I didn't know he's really from South Carolina, and I know Ray Allen was an Army brat, but he's he went to high school in South Carolina. Why? South Carolina produces a lot of players. Yes, Raymond Felton, why can't why is it why is it such a tough job in comparison to some other big state schools? I think part of it is uh, this is probably going to sound like coach speak, but turnover is not necessarily always good. You know, I think when you don't when you don't have consistency and the messaging for recruits, and yep. then so you have turnover every four or five years, it creates a lot of instability. You know, the players who are coming in don't have a connection to the players who played for the last coach. And those guys don't have a connection to the guys who played for the coach previously. And we've talked about this, you know, off the record about where we are now. You know, there's been a lot of turnover, and that, that harms the development of a program in terms of having a consistent success. You know, the resources may be there, but, again, if you're changing leadership, you're changing philosophies. And when you're changing philosophies, then you're dealing with totally different people and the way they do things uh, in a short amount of time. It really, really hurts your, your growth. That's a great, that's a great point. Um, and, and ultimately, what, what was that like to get fired by your alma mater? Oh, it was amazing. I mean, I, I, I thought I would go there and be there for the rest of my career, to be honest, and that maybe Darren would, would have success. Uh, maybe he'd go back to his home school, Kentucky, or whatever, and then I may become a head coach there. And this is, you know, again, at 25 years old, thinking – you know, I'm in SEC, and I'm at the highest level as you can be as an assistant coach. 
know, at a Power 5 school where you got all the resources. And so I was excited to get to work and try to build ourselves to be contenders in the SEC. Favorite player you signed there? Uh, so we signed Steven Spinella, Ramon Galloway, and John Dre Jefferson our first year. Our second year, we had a really good recruiting class. Bruce Ellington, who now plays in the NFL, and Demontre Harris are probably the most highly touted on our recruits. Um, but Eric Smith and uh, R.J. Slauson, two South Carolina kids, were part of that class. Uh, brought in a transfer from Nevada, who originally was from Charlotte, named Malik Cook. It was a kind of a combo forward. Um, and then we signed uh, Anthony Gill and Damian Le- Leonard, who were both really, really highly recruited kids. Anthony Gill was on uh, Virginia's Elite 18 not too far ago. Uh, and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we just didn't win enough. We didn't develop quick enough and, you know, didn't give ourselves enough you know, rope to we can have our, our administration believe in what we're doing. No, no, no. Favorite player you signed? Give me. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have oh, to be the best player. Favorite player? I thought you said name the players you signed. No, no, no. Ever, I don't give anywhere? a shit about all those other players. Favorite player you signed? Anywhere? No, at South Carolina. Oh, like, at man, this South is a... Carolina. Favorite player we signed at South Carolina probably was Bruce. Probably was Bruce. Bruce was a uh, interesting story. So he grew up as a two sport athlete. Right. Uh, was like one of the top football players in South Carolina. And we were kind of puzzled because he was really being recruited heavily by football programs, but not by South Carolina football. I mean, Clemson, Florida, Florida State, Georgia, and football. And so we see the kid one summer playing in, 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 uh, in AU, and we're like, man, this kid's got a chance. I wonder if he would want to play both sports. And he does. Steve Spurrier is our football coach at the time, and we tell him, hey, this kid wants to do both. We could use your help here. And they don't really want to recruit him. So, so, so wait, wait, wait. So, hold on. How, I, wait, wait. So, so, but, but this is this is interesting. I think to people, how did it work? Did Darren go directly to the top? Did you go to what would be the recruiting coordinator? Like, what's the conversation like? Because every school is different. Some, it's the football does the football thing, and everybody else does everything else. Like, how did it actually? How was the conversation? Do you remember how the conversation went? Well, it was actually one of our assistants called one of the assistants and said, "Hey, this is kid." It's in Monk's Corner, which is not near Charleston. Really, really talented. I'm sure they knew about him, but maybe they didn't evaluate him, you know, the way some of the other football programs had. Um, and so that was how it started. But you got to remember, at the time, South Carolina football is rolling, and they have Alshon Jeffrey, Marcus Lattimore. Um, I mean, they got like there's like eight or nine dudes that are in the NFL making making a difference right now. They were in their program at the time. Uh, so it just never materialized very much. Um, and he leads his team to a state championship as a senior, but had signed to play basketball that November with, with, our, with our program. Uh, great crazy. story. Um, so we actually have him his freshman year, and it's really good. He then decides at the end of his freshman year, he's got the football itch again. We think that the football staffs now realize, holy shit, this guy's really good. <laughs> and so he can't go on scholarship in football. But you, you would understand, if you come to play two sports at a college, you have to go, there's a hierarchy. You have to be on scholarship at the higher, with, you know, higher level of sport. So football is number one on that pool chain because you don't want to have football programs bringing in track athletes on scholarship. And you know what I mean? Right. 
than having them be football players stealing extra scholarship players that way. So long story short, he can't play bass football this spring, and he goes out and plays the next year where he becomes an all-SEC freshman basketball player as a true freshman. In his first year of playing football in the SEC, he's an all-freshman SEC football player as a retro freshman. That's crazy. Phenomenal That's athlete. Cr- you were there. Were you, a, were you a student in South Carolina when they had the bad fight, Lou Holtz's last game? So that was actually, I graduate and leave in 04. And so that football game was in 04, but I was gone. I was actually at Furman, which is closer to Clemson, where the fight actually happened uh, in Columbia. Crazy. The crazy like, part, and for people you know that the night before that fight at Clemson was the Malice at the Palace between the Pacers and the Pistons. It was a wild Here's weekend a, here, in sports. I, Man, I was, I was, so the Malice of the Palace, I was actually watching the game with my wife. We had just, 03, I started at ESPN. So it was like, 04, I'm watching it. And I was like, oh my God. And they had, I was like on radio. I think I was on SportsCenter or whatever, just like on the phone, just giving kind of commentary on it. And then I remember sitting on like the exact same couch in the exact same living room. And I'm watching South Carolina and Clemson. And it was one of the craziest brawls I'd ever seen. Right, and that was that was the end of. I think that was Lou Holtz's last game. That was his last game. And then That's they didn't. They, not, they didn't play the next year or something, right? Like his punishment, like, hey, we're not going to play. Like what? It's crazy. So yeah. I, yeah. Uh, okay. So um, it, but to this, this is where it gets hard to be fired by your. You guys were fired right at the end of. of yeah. Oh yeah. Four years. Four years, and you know we kind of start hearing things in this business. You know what I mean? You look at your record. Uh, we didn't have a whole lot of momentum recruiting. That's really kind of your biggest death nail because there's no hope then, right? If you're not recruiting well, then why, why should we believe? So, yeah, we get fired four years later, and it's uh, probably one of the more difficult moments because, um, you know, the AD comes in and tells Darren, hey, I'm not – not honored. Well, we'll honor the last few years, but you're not going to have this job. And as an assistant, you don't have multi years. This is kind of before that became a Vogue thing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we let go. This is in 2012, I believe. Okay. So what do you? What do you, at at the? Were you married at the time? No, you weren't married. I'm trying to think. No, I, I actually, yeah, I got married in May of 2011. So I was less than a year married. <laughs> And, you know, we had just found out that my wife was pregnant with our first child. And so here we are sitting there in uh, spring, summer of 2012. My wife's got a child on the way, and I don't necessarily know what kind of income I'm going to be able to help provide for this. So... Uh, but but you didn't you 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 stayed one year with Frank didn't you or did you go yeah, did you so, leave that so year? Frank comes in and replace Darren and uh, you know I had some Frank and I crossed paths before not professionally um, but when I was younger he was actually a counselor at Nike American Camp uh, and I you know kind of continued to go from there but he comes in and you know Brad is actually trying to get the head coaching job at K State he had played yeah I there. remember yeah. And Frank says, hey, I don't know what's going to happen. If he gets the job, maybe a guy or two stays. If he doesn't get the job, I'm bringing the whole staff with me, and I'll try to help you, but I don't. I won't have an assistant coaching job for you. I get it. I respect the Frank for being honest uh, and telling me straight up what it was so I could kind of prepare. 
Uh, so, well, his whole staff, whole staff does come, and Brad comes with him. And um, Frank actually asked that I help him kind of figure out the lay of the land over the first couple of months uh, that he's there. Uh, my wife and I had decided that we would stay so that we could continue to see the doctors that she had been seeing through the pregnancy. Uh, we could have the baby in a place that we knew well, maybe people around. My parents lived in Atlanta three hours away so they could get there. Uh, and so we stayed. And Frank actually helped us figure out a way to stay within the athletic department, um, kind of working on some transitional things for student-athletes, uh, but in a role that was more encompassing of the whole athletic department as opposed to just basketball. What's that like to watch? And it's like you're managing your wife, but you're, you're like watching somebody else do a job you just had. That had to be, that had to be hard. Well, you know what the hardest part is, if I'm honest, is when you're the guy who gets fired and it hasn't gone well, then a lot of times what happens with the new staff comes in and they kill everything that the last staff's done. And the players stink. And, you know, while we're recruiting these guys and while we're taking these recruiting services and what the heck are we doing with facilities. And so just dealing with that. But I was was also – self-aware enough to know some of it was right. There was, there was a reason that we didn't continue to have our job. and you know, So th- there were some things that I learned. It wasn't easy, and, and especially because I had relationships with those guys who then became you know, entrenched in that talk, and, and a lot of them were then moved on pretty quickly after Frank got there. So that was challenging. Uh, at the same time, I looked at it as an opportunity to learn. Um, now I'm exposed to a whole different philosophy, and I'm around Frank and listening to him coach and how he teaches and talks to kids and how they do recruiting and, and stuff like that. So it was a learning opportunity. I actually was able to remove the emotion of having to live with wins and losses um, and just be an objective observer of basketball. So I took the time to go around to some other people's practices that year also uh, and, and just really use it as a year of growth for myself. What was the what was the best practice you went and saw? Uh, best practice I went and saw actually was was Mike Young's. I went back to Wofford that year um, and, and just watched how he built it because it's it's different when you're involved, right? You don't observe the same way as when you're part of something. Um, and obviously, I was rooting for him to have success, and and they have had they did have unbelievable success uh, moving forward. But just watching how. Good. He was sharp. He communicated clearly. His guys understood exactly what they were supposed to do all the time. But I tell you what, Frank Martin runs a hell of a practice. Um, man, I, I wouldn't necessarily advise it for kids under age, right? But <laughs> there, there's a there's a teaching going on. There's learning involved. There's growth, and and you can see that there's a plan. And, and I'm not saying that, I'm just saying the language sometimes is uncomfortable, yeah, yeah, right? But I'm not saying yeah. he's. He's not. It's not personal. It's challenging, uh, and it's a, and it's environment of growth. Um, but he is really, really good on the basketball court. So then Brad gets the Stephen F. job. You got a baby, yeah, right? Yeah. So so it works out, right? So I, actually, I'm around. I'm around the program, kind of observing. I'm they're able to bounce ideas off me, and I go into Lamont's office. I go into Brad's office. I go into Fig's office, and I talk to Frank, and you know, just different things. Hey, when we go to Lexington, what do you think we should stay? And helping them with that, they actually played 
at both the Barclays and at uh, St. John's, a true road game at St. John's that year. So I traveled with him and helped him with some different things. And so I got to know Brad. I had never met him before. That was actually the way I got to know him, was just being around that program for the year. So Brad gets the head coaching job at Stephen F. Austin that spring, and he doesn't have a staff. He's been been an assistant coach. He knows people, but he doesn't know anybody they feel super comfortable with. Uh, So he offers me an opportunity. And, um, you know, didn't really know much about it. In fact, never really even heard of Stephen F. Austin um, at the time that I heard Brad was getting the job. But I knew I wanted to coach. And I knew I wanted an opportunity to get with somebody who I felt comfortable uh, was going to have a chance to have success, would have support. Um, I knew Brad was, was going to want to continue to recruit the Southeast, and it would help me start to establish another reason that I could build relationships in. But I do have a wife and a newborn child. So going home to try to convince my wife that this is a good idea wasn't the easiest thing, especially when she asked me where the school was, and I couldn't really tell her. <laughs> You're like naked, 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 naked No, right? no, it's worse. Doug, she, I told her, I said, hey, Brad, you know, come home. I said, hey, Brad, he's going to take this job at Stephen F. Austin, and he'd like for me to join the staff. You know, obviously, want, want your blessing, want your support. And my wife, she's a soldier. Let's do it. You, you think this is good for us and our family? But we got this newborn baby. Where, where is it? We'd like to look at houses, wives, right? They want to know where they're going to live. And I Correct. tell her Real, Realtor, Realtor.com or Zillow. That's what they go to immediately. I told her it was in Austin, Texas. With okay. a straight face because that's what I thought. Okay. Okay. And so we go on the computer to start looking up housing, and we type in Austin, Texas. And we find these houses, but we can't find the school because the school is not anywhere near Austin. And so, I, you know, you have that sensation where you know someone's looking at you, like, angry. Yes. She's, yes. like, over my shoulder. And I don't want to look at her because I know she's about so, to say, So, so you, you weren't, in, in, in all honesty, like, you weren't, you weren't just trying to tell her Austin to get her off your back. You really thought it was no, in Austin. I really did not know where the school was. This is the day. I haven't even had time to research. I just know I want to coach. I want to do this. You know, guys, you know, we get something. We're not doing research. Whatever. I, yeah, no, listen, I mean. <laughs> all right, the guys, I think you're going to be a good coach. This gives us a chance to get back in. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> and so my wife so has to how long before you realized it was in search, Nacogdoches? Why don't we search this place by the school name? So we type in Stephen F. Austin, and the computer screen like moves to Louisiana. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, Stephen F. Austin thinking it was in Austin is not, it's not that, you know, it's not like he thought it was in San Antonio. Austin in the name would leave a lot of people to think it was in Austin. That's not cool. the worst thing Except ever. Except for if two years prior... You had gotten married, and, and your wife was pregnant a year later, and you got fired, so you don't have a job, and now you're going to tell her and her newborn baby to move to Texas where there's no family, and you don't even know where it is. Probably not good. Not a good way to yeah. start that. Not a, not a great way to start. Okay, so you show up there. <laughs> you guys show up in Na- Nacogdoches, Texas. Now, it's, isn't it like hill country? Yeah, pine trees, tall, tall pine trees. Beautiful area. The oldest town in Texas. Learned that. Right, uh, but great basketball tradition. Right, really, really strong basketball program at that level has been really successful in their league for a long time. Uh, and so, the best thing that happens is we have a lot of success. Problem is, basketball season wasn't until November. We moved way before November, so trying to get used to life with a newborn and a new area where we don't know anyone. 
I automatically have a group of people to associate with because I'm with a team. Right. My wife doesn't. But your wife doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's hard. And you're in Nacogdoches, Texas. And where's she from originally? Yeah, so she's from Michigan. And, and, and again, I'm not banging on Nacogdoches. We had a great time there. We loved the people. We loved our experience. The no, when you first get there. city you can get to is two and a half hours away. They got a Walmart there, though, right? Like my 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 brother's in my brother's in Corvallis. They, it, I, my sister in law's like, there's a Target an hour away. I was like, damn. And, you know, still still water never had Target for two hours. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 an interesting one. <laughs> <laughs> how did what, how long did how long? How, Danny Casper was. I remember. Uh, when when Bob Knight came to ESPN, you know, like he didn't, he hadn't watched everybody play. He, I mean, like it was a, it, it they should have hired him like ten years previously. Sure, but sure, he sure. would, but he would go on and on about Danny Casper and about his team, Danny Casper's and his team. How long before you got there? We're like, damn, we actually, they actually left us a good team. No, we didn't know. We actually thought that our team was terrible. They won 27 games the year before. They were 27 and 5 the year before we got there. And we're thinking Danny left because he thinks that this thing's about to go to crap. The leading scorer and player of the year in the league graduates. The second leading scorer and first team all league guy graduates. The third leading scorer graduates. The best returning player was a kid who averaged eight points a game. Okay, so did you like the guy who was coming back as the starting point guard didn't not play. He played about ten minutes a game. He took seven shots, not per game, all year. (laughs) So there was really no way to look on paper, look at what they lost and what they were turning, think you're gonna have any chance to be good. Except they had a culture. They had a group of guys who already bought into defense because that's what Danny preached. They won games 49 to 48. Right. In fact, they lost five games that year by a combined total of like seven points. One of them was to Stanford and the NIT by one. One of them was in their conference tournament championship game by one. They lost three other games the whole year. They beat OU that year at enormous. So they were really good, had an established culture. We just didn't see that we had any talent. How long before you knew? We didn't really know until we go to Marshall, like the second week of the season. And, you know, we played okay, but we hadn't really played anybody. Marshall was really good. They had the nation's leading score at the time. And... We wound up beating them in overtime, and we found out that we had enough talent, but we had even more toughness and connectivity. Jacob Parker goes off. He's a junior, sophomore at the time. No, he's a hey, junior. Hey, tell, tell me, I, I, I looked this up because I was, uh, because I'm, I, I'm interested. Didn't you play Danny Casper in like your first game? So we actually had, they had contracted the game. Danny goes to Texas State. And we played Kenny. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. We're actually contracted to play um, Texas State like the second game of the season. 
And his players really didn't – they liked him as a person. They hated playing for him. So they were jacked to go play. And, and they felt liberated and free because Brad brought this offensive philosophy that seemed pretty cool, gave him an opportunity to score. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And we kept the defensive stuff and ramped that up some. But we go there, and after the game, Danny Casper is doing a press conference and tells Brad to come see him, and they have one together. I've never seen that in my life. That has to just be the weirdest thing ever. Like it wasn't like he left to go to Texas. He left to go to Texas like, I State. Bad and I think for Brad because hey, we won the game. Right, he's in his first year. He's trying to talk about all the things he wants to do. We're in our first year, and Brad's, you know, wants to give him some credit, but also he's a competitor, man. Like yeah, and what? Danny wants yeah, to talk about how he wants to have all these guys that he just left. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was a weird dynamic. Um. Yeah, so you, you beat them. Like crazy, you beat them. You lose to Texas. You beat yep. Marshall. Lose to East Tennessee yep. State. And then you don't lose yeah. again. So, yeah, and that was the turnaround. I mean, when we lost at East Tennessee State, that was on a, like a quick turnaround. We played two games back-to-back. We had one at Marshall. Guys start filling themselves. And, and a kid named Desmond Heyman, well, this thing comes full circle, um, brings up, we get back on a Sunday night, and we, we're, we're supposed to be off. Desmond Desmond Heyman has practice. The, the, the player, senior player yes, on I got our it. team, calls practice. Yep. He runs it. He goes through it. We don't lose another game until the second round of the NCAA tournament. That's insane. What, how, how, what was that like November to be a part of? Like, I, I got it. I'm, I'm looking at November 23rd. November 23rd, you lost 66-58. to 58. You beat Samford, UNC Wilmington, High Point, Towson, uh, James Madison, North Texas, Northridge, Lamar. Then you run undefeated through the league. Then you win. Not only do you win your tournament, the Northwestern State game, I remember watching because yep, you sure. had a point guard that shot less than me, that little Absolutely. dude. And then, you, and then you, uh, you beat Sam Houston. You beat the dog piss out of Sam Houston State. And I remember watching the game like, dude, I, don't, I have no idea who these guys are, but whoever draws them is going to lose. What was that like to be a part of? You had a 28-game winning streak heading into the – like, coming from – It was crazy. Like, dude, you, yeah, and, it I mean, like, like, look. back to my childhood, childhood again. Like, I stopped. Yes. Like, I forgot what losing was like. And, like, the, the leadership and the, 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 the teamship amongst that, that group was, was fascinating just to watch. Like, they were determined. They had lost – again – the core of that team, the seniors had lost in their conference tournament championship game the year before. Right. By one point. This year, we get back, there's no way they're losing. And so they just carried us, man. And I said that this Desmond Heyman thing comes full circle. We play BCU in the first round. We get this 5-12 thing. And this is at the point where this 5-12 has kind of become a thing to talk about. Yep. And so the tw- the five seeds are really like, damn, <laughs> you know, like we're going to play somebody really good, and we draw them, and we could kind of tell in the in the lab line. BCU had been to the final four a few years prior. Uh, this seems to seem to be a little air of arrogance in the warmups. Like, oh, we got Stephen F. Austin. I'm sure their coaches weren't that way, but we got the sense of that from their players going through warmups, yep. and, and they, they 
I mean, that, they're pressing and just back and forth for a while, but they kind of get away from us. We come back, and we're down four. I think we're like eight seconds to go. We're down four. This is at, this is at, this is in San Diego, wasn't it? Yes, yes. We're down four. BCU is at the line for two shots with eight seconds to go. They miss both. Thomas Walker gets the rebound, drives the length of the court. Our leader, Desmond Heyman, gets open on the wing. He kicks it, shoots it, kid fouls him, four-point mm-hmm. play, overtime. And life, life's never been the same. Yeah, so here's, here's my story about that regional, okay? So the whole year, I was at CBS at the time. The whole year I said, like, look, you know, my game schedule is my game schedule. I was living out here. And it's my second year living out here. And I literally had never, my son was born March 19th. It was the first day of the tournament in 2009. And I went and worked that night. And, like, March is just a terrible birthday, right? Because... Yeah. You're just never there. And, um, you know, in 2000, I was working at, I'd always worked, at, you know, at ESPN on his birthday. And then when I was at CBS, I was like, I'm like gone for the whole month of March. Like gone. So uh, this is 2014, right? It's his first, fifth birthday. And I'm in Orange County and there's a San Diego regional. And I was like, I'm there. I was like, look, I don't really care about anything else. Just. You don't even have to book me a flight because after the selection Sunday, I can just fly home and I can drive down. I was like, in San Diego State, my brother used to work there. Like, I don't need a, a hotel, nothing. I'll save you money. I'll sleep at home. I'll be home for my son's birthday. Like, I don't give a shit about because I'm not calling the Duke Carolina games, the Kentucky games, right? I, there's a pecking order in the way it works. So right. we're sitting there and we, we would get the bracket like 15 minutes before everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget. And then I see like Oklahoma State is in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, huh, I wonder if that's a big deal. I wonder if that's a big deal. And yep. so uh, we do the show. I get on the plane and I get a text message and it says uh, Spokane. And I was like, Spokane? What the fuck? And they said, <laughs> and, and I put a question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. And like, why not San Diego? Like, it's right down the street. And they're like, look at the bracket. Like, I was like, Oklahoma State? Like, yeah, we can't. It just would look bad. And I was like, wait a second. Steve, at the time, Steve Kerr, he had called Arizona games. You know, Kenny Smith works Carolina. He's Mr. Carolina. Like, really? So then I look in the Spokane bracket, and Oklahoma's in it. And uh, I said, and I told him, I said, listen. If there's any one person who thinks I'm a homer for Oklahoma State for Travis Ford, who I didn't play for, I'm friendly with, but like I'm not, we're not like boys. Like the same people that will think that will think that I hate Oklahoma. Like, don't you guys? They're like, oh, we never, we never thought of that. And by the way, Oklahoma end up, both of them end up getting beat in the first game. But that's one of the reasons I was watching your regional was because I would have been home for my son's birthday, March nineteenth done all the interviews on the 20th and then senior game on the 21st. And I was mad about it. I was like, man, I got to watch the San Diego thing. What I was missing. I was like, are you kidding me? I watched the most incredible comeback I've ever seen. Unbelievable, man. Unbelievable. Why? I mean, is it just margin for error? Why? Cause it wasn't until two years later, the next year you went and you lost to Utah, but it wasn't until two yep. years later that you guys were almost unbeatable 
could have been a, very easily could have been a Final Four team. Lost in a, a ridiculously good game. What was the second year? Was it just harder around the second year? Was it guys that you lost? What, what was it? Yeah, it was probably a combination. Um, it was a year. It's actually the only year we lost a conference game. So the, you could tell there was a little bit more of a chink in our armor. Um, and, and we actually had a really bad draw, if we're being honest, in the tournament. So we, we play a team. The thing that bothered us the most was functional size. And yeah. we didn't face that with VCU that first year. They yeah. had some undersized dudes like us, right? Yeah, they had uh, portal. They had portal. They had big portal, and they had a yeah. and they got Jakob Pertle, who, without scoring twenty, dominates the game because he can really pass. And they got Delon right, and so poor matchup. Our best player, player of the year in the league, Jacob Parker, goes over eight from the field. That you know, we only lost by seven. It was a low scoring game. We just couldn't get going offensively. Is that what happened? I, I, the, the Notre Dame game was an unbelievable game the next year. The next year, you're yeah. 28, 28 and 6. Yep. Um, and people have now noticed walk-up is sure. making shots. Yep. You know, you beat, you beat the crap out of a good West Virginia team, which I know was big yeah. for, for, for Brad because it's oh, against Huggy and it's all the same family. It's his former yep. coach. Yep. What, what's your memories of the Notre Dame game? Oh, man, I remember feeling like we were going to win until we didn't. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, that, like that, that was the, the, the moment that I realized how cruel the finality of the end of a season is. And, and there was no question in our players' minds we were a second weekend team. Walk-up was good enough to be one of the top two or three players on the court against anybody. And he had got, literally had become the face of college basketball for the weekend after he dominated West Virginia. And, you know, we, we actually played really well. I mean, we made shots. We guarded well. And, you know, fluke thing, kind of like the way we won against BCU. We're up late. All we got to do is get a stop. It's the best thing we do is defend. And we force a shot literally off the side of the backboard. Yep. I mean, the, the, the side. I'm not talking about the face side. The side side. The initial shot is the side of the backboard. So it takes a funky bounce. One of the guys tips it in, and, you know, you lose. there were a couple of questionable calls in there late, and, you know, you got that going, and you're always in the back of your mind. But, you know, give credit to Notre Dame. They made a play at the end, and, and our season was over, and that run was over, essentially. Uh, how long... After that, did you know Brad was going to Oklahoma State? Well, this was a Sunday. And if you know anything about the NCAA tournament, you don't have travel plans. You just kind of listen to what they tell you. So we go. We should be up for probably two hours. We've got to fly to Shreveport because you can't fly to Nacogdoches. So we fly to Shreveport. It's like an hour and a half. So we don't get home until, I'm going to guess, midnight. Uh, it's a Sunday. Brad's named the Oklahoma State head coach Monday after soon. When did he tell you? Didn't tell me anything. I mean, he, he didn't. So he goes to Stillwater, feels done, and he comes back. And I met with him early because he was trying to make a plan for me to go through the interview processes for the head coaching job there. Uh, and then we started making plans for, you know, how to deal with the players there and and the administration and all that stuff, and, and he was off. He was off to Stillwater. When did you know you were going with him? 
I didn't know. I, I, I honestly thought I was going to become the head coach of Stephen F. Austin. I, I really believed that with all my heart. Maybe a little naive, uh, and probably more naive now that I think back and kind of how it all went and the rest of the pool candidates, uh, pool of candidates. So I didn't know until after I was told I wasn't, you know, going to be hired there. I knew I had an opportunity to come if I didn't get the job. So there was some comfort going through the process. Yeah, it's interesting because Kyle Keller got the job and he was yep. my assistant coach when I played in college, yeah, right? Like, so it's, it, it is, it's amazing. So you, you get to Stillwater and now yep. you're back in, back in high major basketball. What was your yep. first impression of what was left for you? Um, I thought it was pretty good. Um, you know, you kind of look at the roster again. It's the first thing you look at is who, who's going to help you win. You need players. At the freshman year in the league, you want Evans coming back. Juwan Evans going to come off his red shirt, play his fifth year. Uh, so starting there with a pretty good backcourt, pretty good. Didn't have a whole lot of size. Mr. Solomon. You mean, you mean, you mean, Phil, you mean, Phil, back, no confidence. You mean Phil Forte. About. Mike, you mean Phil Forte. You mean Phil Forte. Juwan Evans came back. Phil Forte was, he had the arm thing, right? And so then he, he missed Evans, the, yeah, yeah. he had a shoulder Ju- deal. Uh, yeah. he was freshman year in the league the year before. And then Phil Forte, yeah. uh, coming into his fifth year, you know, so yeah. felt, felt pretty good. Didn't know if we could yeah. win the league, but thought we were going to have a t- chance to be a competitive team. What was it like? Because when you got to Stephen F, there was already a culture. There was already a toughness. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that really wasn't the case no. with, with, no. with Travis at the end. At, it, at o- it was, it was, it was, um, it was almost a polar opposite terms of guys being brought into winning and caring about work and how to have success buying into it was really really challenging probably so how the long, hardest transition that i've experienced um in, in college basketball so how long did it take to before it worked you know what i'm not sure if, if, if i'm being honest that it ever really worked as much as we had enough talent to figure out how to win some games. Because what, what, what we changed. We didn't change it. We changed. We changed a lot. We changed how we operated. We changed how we played. Um, and, and so I don't know if we really, you know, for a long-term standpoint, did anything that year that really put us in position to have success long-term. Yeah, because you went from you went from pressuring you went from pressuring everything, you went from pressuring everything to like pack lining everything, right? You changed your offense, you changed everything. Yeah, and you won like ten out of eleven at 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 one stretch, and (laughs) snuck into the tournament and lost an unbelievable game to to Michigan, just like a remarkable game to Michigan. Okay, so then Brad leaves and goes to Illinois and. Duns people. How did you find that one out? I was literally in my car with my wife the day after the season in Oklahoma City, um, and I was starting to get these texts from and calls from these national media guys. Didn't know why. And then I earlier in the day I had gotten a text message that we were going to have a meeting, which was strange because the season had just ended the day before. We're on spring break, so none of the players are here. I can see it's over. We're going to meet when spring breaks done. We'll come back, you know. So it was a little, a few strange things that happened, and um, you know, found out. Well, I went to Twitter not long after I started getting those calls from, 
you know, Jeff Goodman's and, and, and Matt Miller and his world and, and saw that the rumors were what the rumors were and, and ultimately that they were true. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Six p.m. Book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com/slash-with-amex. Terms apply. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's bracket season, and you can pre-register now for Fox Sports Radio's Bracket Challenge at foxsportsradio.com. Get details, rules, and pre-register so you can easily create your winning bracket when it's live on March 17th. Once you fill out your bracket, you're entered for a chance to win the ultimate college sports trip for you and a friend, including travel and stays at any Graduate Hotels location. It's sponsored by Tractor Supply and Graduate Hotels, where college fans stay. So, you know, then then it's just like craziness, right? I mean, obviously, me, I was oh, a part of it as insanity. well. Insanity. Yes. Um, you had thought you were going to get the Stephen F. job. You didn't. Yeah. Did you think you were going get, to get the Oklahoma State job? No, I never thought about being the head coach at Oklahoma State. Like, it never even crossed my mind when, when it was open. Um, first thing I thought was, I'm in Oklahoma City. I need to get back to Stillwater and, and figure out, you know, when Brad's leaving, and if I need to get get ready to get on a plane with him and move to Champaign. Um, and and because I wasn't there, I didn't have an opportunity to be at the meeting where he told everyone, and the athletic director Mike Holder was there, and so I didn't have a chance to talk to him either. And so I'm in the office. This is a Saturday that this all happens. The next day, I see Mike Holder in the weight room, and just he just says, "Hey, when you're done." come up and talk. And I'm thinking, oh, this goes back to me in my South Carolina days. He just wants his keys and his car back. <laughs> you know? Um, and, you know, he kind of goes on and asks me stuff about how I, what I think about the program uh, and asks if I think I can do the job. And totally caught me off guard. Not too much off guard that I didn't say yes, I think I could do the job. 
but caught me off guard that that was a question. Um, and, you know, that was a Tuesday or Monday or whatever it was. And by Friday, I was named the head coach of Oklahoma State. Yeah, so that Thursday was when they told you, I think, right? We have, or maybe it was maybe it was Friday morning. No, because... no. So I had the interview Thursday. Uh, yeah, that... I think all the interviews were Thursday. I got a call early Friday morning from Coach Holder asking if I can meet him at the office. It's like six thirty in the morning. Kind of freaked me out. And I uh, get there, and you know, you would appreciate this in his own way. You know, Coach Holder comes in and says, "I just had a couple follow up questions." And he literally asks me something about uh, maybe I've mentioned something about commitment to the school or loyalty or something like that and about staffing. And he asks me those two questions. It's like 645 because I just throw some stuff on and go meet him. Like, <laughs> you do whatever you got to do, right? So it's 650 in the morning. He asks me two questions, and he gets up and leaves the room. And I'm Doesn't sitting there like, is that it? Yeah. Because yeah. he never came back. So, so I go get my kids ready for school. I get a call again a few hours later that I need to go meet the president, who wasn't in the interviews the day before. I think he was out of town or something like that. That was the first time I thought, well, hell, maybe, maybe this is real. Because I still haven't convinced myself that I'm going to get the job. Right. Still cautiously optimistic, but more cautious than optimistic. So then, so... So you meet with the president. He tells you you're getting the job. Yeah. No, and no, the president just doesn't tell me. I meet with the president uh, and Holder. He had, the president has some questions again because he wasn't in the interview. Uh, and then I leave, and they say, "Hey, we'll we hope to have this wrapped up soon. Somebody will be in touch with you either way." Uh, Coach Holder called me probably about an hour or two later. Uh, I can remember it was early afternoon. Who's the first phone call you made? Uh, honestly, I don't know if I called anybody immediately. There's so much stuff that they wanted to do because this stuff happened so fast. They wanted to get their messaging out. So I immediately get called to my SID's office, and then I get told, hey, we got some players here. We want you to talk to them before we put anything out, so come back. And I'm sitting back in Coach Holder's office talking to a couple of players about 30 minutes later, and I realized but I just gave the okay for for the SIDs to put it out. I haven't called my wife yet. So at least she doesn't have to move wife. back to Nacogdoches. <laughs> I called my wife. She's freaking out because she's hurt already. Funny. And so you know, I don't even necessarily get a chance to break the news to her. I'm still paying for that to this day, by the way. Yeah. Um, but the first phone call I made outside of that was when I, I actually. They want to take pictures and do this stuff at the baseball game that night. So I'm like, i got to go change. I'm not dressed for a photo shoot or anything like this. They want me to get a coat and tie and all that stuff. So on my way home, I call my dad, and this is literally how the conversation goes. My dad answered the phone. I said, hey, I have five minutes, but I want to let you know. I know my dad. He's gonna, he is then like, the, he's like a bullhorn. He, everyone else in the family is going to know once he knows. I just became... I just was named head coach at Oklahoma State. He proceeds to like scream for about 45 seconds. And I say, you got that? Make sure you let everybody know that my five minutes up, I hang up. And I didn't talk to him again until the next day. <laughs> um, so 
you, you've been an assistant forever. You've been an associate head coach. How different yeah. was it? How different was it to have? It wasn't just to have your own program, um, but like like now you get to do whatever you want to do. Now it was a little bit different because you had a couple. You had Dezagua. You had Averett, who you recruited at Stephen F. You had Lindy, and you had McGriff, who you recruited at Stephen F. So you had some guys. But you didn't really have many freshmen incoming, so there was still some Travis guys. There were some guys that you and Brad had brought in together. Like, what was that? What was it like to be a head coach of a team? Yeah, it was. Um, it was. It was weird. But what I tried to do was, and, and this is probably a mistake. I tried to continue to operate as I had, and just you know, I was a you know, eighteen-hour day guy. You know, you just burn a candle at both ends, and you figure it out as you go, and try to continue to maintain those same relationships. Uh, but all of a sudden, there's many more people who want a piece at that time. All right, you got media, you got boosters, you got former players, you got administration. Uh, and so starting to try to figure out how to balance all that was a real, real challenge early on, besides the fact that it's not like my hiring was met with a whole lot of praise, right? right. A lot of skepticism and and criticism even uh, when I was initially hired. So just trying to introduce myself to people and let them know, hey, they didn't hire, like, a statue. Like, I'm a real person. I actually can articulate things. I think I communicate well with people. I'm going to try to make our guys better. But had to start creating an image of myself, which for me was just being myself, but getting myself out there in the public for people to kind of get to know me. Your your first year was wild, obviously, because oh. there were the upsets the, the upsets that people saw, right? I mean, you beat Kansas, Kansas, and I know you know this, but Eddie Sutton never won at Kansas, ever, yeah, ever. And yeah. your first year, you go in there, and they're really good, and you beat them. <laughs> and this is and this hey. was after, and you had lost like three in a row. <laughs> yeah. And I would I would watch and like got uh, tails kicked at home against TCU, which was the third of a three-game loser streak because we had lost at Texas and at Arkansas the week before. And we're playing without a starter. Tavares shot and hurt his back, so he's not even going to play. How'd you do it? And I think our guys are just excited about the opportunity. Um, You knew how good they were. You know, you always, it's natural. You get, get more excited and more focused to play against the better teams. But we played with a great, great desire and will. I mean, I'll be honest, the game, uh, we won, but we, we really dominated the game. I mean, yes, it, it got close late. You know, you get a few whistles that go bad against you. You're hoping that you can hold it off. Um, but we, I mean, we really dominated the game. And, you know, our kids were just locked in, played well. Uh, Kendall Smith played exceptional there. Jeff Carroll was good, and Cam McGriff was phenomenal at their place. Yeah, and then, I mean, and then you rolled them again at your place. I mean, rolled, beat them 18 yeah, beat them 18 beat them even at, worse. At I mean, they, they didn't have a comeback in them at our place. Uh, Mr. Solomon was out of his mind, played probably the best game of his life. Um, you know, he's making threes, he's dunking on folks. And, you know, it was senior day for our guys. We had some seniors who really meant a lot to, to you know, and, and I'll be honest, we thought we were playing for an NCAA tournament bid. Uh, we yeah. thought if we had swept them and, and, uh, and beat them the way we did, we thought, you know, Told those guys it'd be the last time you play in front of this crowd. So we thought we were going to be an NCAA tournament team. So to to go from you know, and then a week later you lost to Kansas the third time you played him, you kind of just ran yeah, out of gas. Yeah. 
But to go from that moment where you got hired, when people are questioning you, I mean, shit, I'm pissed. <laughs> you know, I'm like, man, what? And to now, you are like America's sweetheart. Like, I'm watching on Selection Sunday, and, you know, Vitale's, oh, well, you got to put a man. You got to, you know, everybody is sure, like, sure. you have to. And then obviously you didn't get in, but what what is what is that? Do you have is there is there a time during that period of time where you're able to uh, get the juxtaposition of how it started at the start of the year to 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 that moment? No, I probably didn't get it honestly until uh, about maybe a week and a half, two weeks later. Uh, because I felt it from the people who probably were the most skeptical, which were Oklahoma State fans. I think there were people outside of the program that were skeptical, but no one really cares, right? Uh, Oklahoma State made a bad hire. Eh, too bad for them. But the people that were invested in the program, that really were worried about whether they were invested in a program that was about to go down in flames, you know, because they hired a bad person or a bad coach or whatever it was, to see them then, once we didn't get into the tournament, we had 11,500 people show up for an NIT game on spring break on Wednesday. I mean, I think that was the moment where I felt like, okay, they believe in me and what we're trying to do again, and, and we're going to have a chance to have success for a long time. Uh, I mean, in all of this, of course, and you had – then you have the you have the, uh, the FBI thing too, right? I mean, that, yeah. that part is crazy. Yeah. FBI deal uh, in December – Literally at the end of one semester, I dismissed probably our two best athletes, uh, Devon Dillard and Zach Dawson. Uh, and, you know, lo and behold, we go the next day and beat a really good and top 20 ranked Florida State team in the Orange Bowl. And that was a moment where I felt like we had the right kind of guys to, to give us a chance to have success. Okay, so then last year you walk in and now all of a sudden those older guys are gone. Yep. You take you take a grad transfer in Mike Cunningham. You had Michael Weathers sitting out, who was an all freshman team kid, you know, who played for one of your assistants at Miami of Ohio. Mm-hmm. You had Curtis Jones, who'd been sitting out as as a transfer. Yep. Like so, you had, you know, look, and this is the way you got to do it now. Is you got to take some transfers. You got to take a fifth year. You got to get some good freshmen. Sure. What did you think you had coming into last season? I, I wasn't really sure, um, but I thought we had more talent. I really did. I thought we had more talent. I thought we had more depth. Uh, and I thought we had a team that could, again, compete uh, with, with anybody, you know, if we prepared the right way and, and continue to develop the guys. Uh, the thing I didn't probably calculate enough is, is you know, maturity is probably more important than age. Uh, and I talked about age a lot, and it was actually maturity or lack of maturity that really hurt us. Obviously, you know, some of the things that are publicly known, decision-making from our players uh, really, really came to bite us. And, and it was something that, that really, really helped me reflect on how I wanted to recalibrate things going into this year and move forward. You know, it's interesting because, like, the the cliche is, well, a team's a reflection of their coach. But I've never heard anyone say, like, okay, he's – he curses, he's drunk, he's this. Like, literally, I mean, I, you can't find a personal work with, with you, you know, from people who know you and are around you all the time. And yet you, ha- and you have a team full of guys. And, and again, most of them are not major things. Like a couple of guys with a BB gun shooting out a window is in the grand scheme of things in comparison to other things. It even happened sure. at Oklahoma State. It's very, very minor. 
But what what's that like to be a guy who, like, you've never been re- accused of recruiting violation ever, to have that as a reflection when you know that that's not really a reflection of who you are and what you're about? Well, it's hard. I mean, especially because you, you, you know the kids. You've spent time with their families, and, and, and it's actually, you know, more challenging when it feels like it's, you know, maybe people, and it's probably more now than it was 20 years ago, and it becomes like it's personal about you. Uh, but I get it. I'm a big boy. I'm, I'm involved in, in, you know, highly visible, competitive athletics, and, and that's part of it. And uh, what I try to do is focus on the things that, you know, as a staff, as, as a program, we can do to get better and avoid some of those pitfalls. Uh, and I truly believe that because of some of the things that I went through personally, what our program went through um, over the last year, really going to help us um, be able to be really, really solid and more aware uh, moving forward. Um, you've changed your staff, and then you have you have like three things going on here, right? Like you have the older group that's all back, those three seniors, McGriff, Lindy Waters, and Tom Stazagua, who was the guy I was talking about earlier, who went from like, man, how do we hide this guy and get him out there to he's such a weapon because he just, I mean, just, I mean, like he can shoot. Right? He's a dude who will never yep. get out of any time that they shoot for a pickup game. He will be in the pickup game because he, he's an unbelievable shooter, an unbelievable worker. And then you got uh, Isaac, who had an un, a terrific year and an even better summer. And then you're an A who, for my money, like that's what an NBA center looks like as a freshman, potentially, because mm-hmm. he's just he's got the natural gifts of understanding rim protection and movement. And if he yep. continues to develop and then you have this remarkable group of incoming freshmen, I mean, you have to be you got to be super excited. Like, I know you're already practicing, but what's your level of excitement now as compared to what you thought you had last year? Oh, man, I, I feel so much more comfortable that we're building it with guys who believe in what our program values. Um, and, and I say that, and I don't mean anything bad about the kids. I recruited them all, still care about them, but I've had time to evaluate these kids for a long period of time. I know their families well. I know their backgrounds. I know exactly what they're made of. I know they care about winning, uh, and the messaging to those guys have been a part of what happened. And we're not going to continue to have those type of uh, bad decision makers in our program. So, Again, I think that's part of the reason why we feel good about last year helping us have success moving forward because we learned how to better manage things internally. And so I'm excited about, again, we got a really strong group of freshmen who are really talented, but the expectations yeah. aren't out of control from a personal standpoint. They know they're coming in and they have to work. They understand that things aren't going to be easy and that things may not go their way all the time. And then the leadership that I have amongst our three primary seniors. We've got another one, grad transfer to Jonathan Laurent, but between Thomas, Lindy, and Cam, those guys truly understand everything it takes to have success, and they have an awareness of the things that can be pitfalls, because they've been around a lot of them. So, in terms of managing that stuff better, how do you do so? Well, just communication. Be very clear in what our expectation is, and don't wait. I think part of the reason, you know, maybe we didn't um, have more success putting out fires before because we let them we let them blaze a little bit too long. You know, we we didn't nip things in the bud early. Uh, whereas now we see things and and we got more internal leadership. Our, our seniors are being more vocal about the things that are un, that are unacceptable within our program, being on time to things, 
making sure you're respectful of people on campus, you know, maybe going harder, don't skip reps in the weight room, little things that make a big difference to building a team. Um, best thing about being a head coach is what? Um, I would say probably the, the, the autonomy that you have from a decision-making standpoint. Um, but at the same time, when you kind of built like I am and nothing's ever been easy, you're always wary of getting too comfortable. Um, so just then making sure you surround yourself with the right people. But Worst thing about being a head coach? Your life is not yours. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, everything about how you're perceived – a lot, well, not everything, but a lot of how you perceive is based off the decisions of, you know, young people who sometimes make the bad decisions. Uh, so that's challenging again, especially when you have family and they're affected by those things. Uh, I, I, in in terms of the coolest things you've done, coaching at Barclays, head coach of your own team in Brooklyn, is that is that the coolest thing, or was it? Because it's your cool. team, Probably as a, because in, in, it's something I never even could fathom. Like I jumped out of an airplane a year ago. That was pretty cool. But I always knew that you could do that. When I grew up, there was no arena in Brooklyn. There was no basketball team because the Knicks were the only team in the city. So you only thought about the Knicks. But to be able to coach in the arena that an NBA franchise uh, hosts uh, games in uh, as a college head coach was really really cool. The um, uh, give me the one that got away. The player that you and during any of your your recruiting, you thought you had, you knew you had, you didn't get, and they went on to have a great career. Oh wow! Um, you know, probably Montrez Harrell. Uh, we are South Carolina, and you know we were in on him early. Um, from a really, really small town in North Carolina. And we had a kid committed to us already in the following class, Anthony Gill. So we didn't want to upset the apple card. He was, that kid was from North Carolina too. Uh, but if I'm in that position again as a head coach, I'm going to take Montrez and make sure Anthony Gill understands we want him too. Um, but if we had both of them, maybe our, our, um, Maybe our fortune is a little bit different as you move forward because he's turned out yeah. to be a hell of a player and still playing in the NBA now. No, no question. Um, that's interesting that uh, uh, because I was recruited was by Jim Harris. And I think because we decided not to take him, I think he was going to go to Virginia Tech and then um, Seth got fired and so he wanted to go to Louisville. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what happened. It's funny because I was recruited by Jim Herrick at UCLA, and he used to go, "Dougie, Dougie, positions don't matter. We play the best five guys at UCLA. We play the best five. <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, but except Coach, I'm six feet tall. I'm white and Jewish. I have only one position I can play. So if you take Illusiony Man, who was the class behind me, like I, where am I gonna where am I gonna play? Like he's a six foot five point guard. Like that's not that's not that, that's not gonna happen." Um, if you could change one thing about college basketball, what would it be? Um, this is really radical, man. I, I actually think basketball in general. I don't think the court's big enough anymore. I agree. My my dad used to think it's not wide enough. Yeah, maybe that's maybe it's widening. Um, but I think you know the the game has evolved so much. Players, we always talk about how much bigger, faster, athletic, stronger, whatever, and we still play in the confines of the same space. That's a good one. 
I just the problem is the arenas are built. I guess you could. Yeah, I mean, sure, you could. Sure, no, it's hard. It's, I mean, I'm really, really radical. Like, <laughs> no, that that honestly, no. Listen, my late my late father, he grew up in the Bronx, moved out to Long Island. Like his whole thing was like, guys are too big, guys are too long, need more space. You got to play in a. It's got to be wider. He thought wider, not longer. Although longer would be sure. incredible too, right? Deeper three point lines, so, whatever. So we've extended the line. There'll be yep. more guys step out of bounds in the corners of the arenas now than ever before. Hmm. Yes, of course. Of course, unless they do the Ray Allen drill. Unless, yeah. they, unless they do it. Isn't it, isn't it amazing like, how this thing has changed from like, uh, my, my junior year, we had an incredible, it would have been an incredible small ball team. And we only did it once against Texas. We're down like 20. Our big guys were terrible that game. So we went small. Desmond Mason played the five. And we cut it to like four. And he would never go back to it. Like, never. And we, were, we played small. Isn't it amazing on how the game is, has changed and evolved? Oh, for sure. Sure. Hey, man, listen. You've been more than gracious with your time. I really appreciate it. Man. Let's catch All right, we'll talk soon. All right, later. Wow, that was unbelievable. Uh, my thanks to Mike Boynton for all his time. By the way, you can listen to the Doug Gottlieb Show daily, 3 to 6 Eastern time, 12 to 3 Pacific, on Fox Sports Radio, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you download this, you can download that show daily. It's called the Doug Gottlieb Show. In the meantime, tell a friend, tweet it, put it on Facebook, IG it, whatever you want. Tell somebody it's, it's good content. It's not necessarily me telling you it's good content. You listened to it. You probably liked it. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. It's bracket season, and you can pre-register now for Fox Sports Radio's Bracket Challenge at foxsportsradio.com. Get details, rules, and pre-register so you can easily create your winning bracket when it's live on March 17th. Once you fill out your bracket, you're entered for a chance to win the ultimate college sports trip for you and a friend, including travel and stays at any Graduate Hotels location. It's sponsored by Tractor Supply and Graduate Hotels, where college fans stay. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride 
the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.